Welcome to the Trust the Wizards podcast. Hello, it's us again. Well, it's not us, it's just me, actually. Hello, Chirizzo Garbanzo here. Uh, just myself and no other wizards with me this evening. And uh, I'm off to see the Manic Street Preachers uh, playing at uh, the Albert Hall. In, yeah, not that Albert Hall. Uh, there's another Albert Hall in Manchester, apparently, and that's where we're going. Uh, and uh, something like the 16th time, I think, I worked out before, the 16th time I've seen the Manic Street Preachers. Uh, it'll be a bit different tonight, though. This is the 20th anniversary of the Holy Bible album, and they're playing the whole thing in full. Uh, I'm very excited about that, because the Holy Bible was the first album of theirs that I really, really loved, and it's still my favourite Manic's album right now. Uh, so along the way this evening I'm going to try and convey to you uh, why I love it so much. Um, now uh, we've talked about the Manic Street Preachers a lot on, on previous podcasts, uh, well I have, uh, and the others have kind of sat sitting twiddling their thumbs whilst I've uh, gone on about it. Uh, we've certainly talked about um, when we were discussing our gig regrets and I was talking about how I um, nearly saw them at the Buzz Club in Aldershot at the West End Centre, a place I used to frequent a lot in the 90s and late 80s. Um, and I was there the night they played, uh, but I was busy chatting to my friends in the bar and never saw a single note of the gig. Um, when I eventually did get round to seeing the Manic Street Preachers, by which time they'd done uh, two albums, and I saw them at uh, an anti-fascist march thing uh, where I remember walking along behind a flatbed truck with the band Smash, and Billy Bragg playing a cover of uh, Lean On Me by the Redskins. Um, and uh, later on that day, um, uh, the, the Manic Street Preachers played, and various other bands, Credit to the Nation and things like that. Uh, I have to say, they weren't that great, the Manics. Um, the sound that day was a bit weedy, uh, which I guess is a common problem with outdoor gigs, but you know, you really wanted it to be loud and powerful, and, but it wasn't. Uh, so I'm not going to go and try and make out that I've been a Manix fan since the very start. Uh, I did like, uh, that I really liked uh, some of the singles, Little Baby Nothing, Motorcycle Emptiness in particular, and You Love Us. Um, but uh, I remember being quite disappointed by the second album and the first album, and uh, I was yet to be, I, I, li- I very much liked the idea of the Manic Street Preachers, uh, but I didn't, was yet to be completely convinced by the records that they'd made some of the records that they've made. Oh, before the gods that made the gods were born. Yes, before the gods that made the gods were born. Yes, before the gods that made the gods woke up and made the gods. That's when you got into. That's when you got into. Yeah, that's when you first got into the Mannix. Um, and then there was a famous Top of the Pops performance, uh, which I remember very clearly. Uh, they opened up the show. Uh, and uh, Nicky Wire was doing a sort of strange sort of Basil Fawlty type thing with his leg, and James Dean Bradford was wearing a balaclava. Um, apparently, the most uh, this is the most complained about appearance on Top of the Pops in of all time, which I find hard to believe, but that's that's what they say. Uh, but the song, the song they were playing was called, a song called Faster, and it was a weird song compared to some of the things they'd been going on before. Uh, much more of a sort of punky sound uh, with sort of stream of consciousness lyrics pouring out like a torrent and no idea what James was going on about 
uh, but I, it, the, the sort of one note guitars, one note sort of repetitiveness of the of the, mel- of the melody, ah, 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 and the sort of simple uh, buzzcocksy two note guitar riff got me. Uh, so um, I think I re- I remember reading about the album and just hearing about uh, all these difficult subjects being tackled, like um, political correctness and. The Holocaust and prostitution and gun lobbyists and all that kind of stuff. I think, mean, oh yeah, that sounds interesting. Uh, at the time, I was living near Chiswick, so that was my local library, and they were they had a really good CD section. Where whoever was buying in their CDs was pretty up to date, so I, I I got the the CD from there and put it onto a tape, and I, I listened I listened to the album and I did like the sound of it the, musically. But lyrically, I was a bit disappointed after everything I'd read. Um, but uh, I realised that I couldn't really make out most of the lyrics because uh, they were coming so thick and fast. So I sat down with a lyric booklet, and then I really got it. Then I really was like, "Wow, this is really amazing stuff!" And it's amazing stuff in the way that the lyrics have been put together, and it's amazing stuff in the way that they've actually managed to make. Um, a song out of these crazy lyrics. Um, a little sample from Faster that it was, it was I am idiot drug high for the virgin, the tattered and the torn. Life is for the cold made warm and they are just lizards. Self disgust is self obsession, honey, and I do as I please. A morality obedient only to the cleansed, repent, cleansed, repented. And then the chorus, which in true kind of you love us style, the bands seem to be declaring themselves as. Uh, your self-educated intellectual superiors. Uh, I am stronger than Mensa, Miller, and Mailer. I spat out Plaffin. I spat out Plaffin Pinter. I am all the truth. All the things that you regret. A truth that washes and that learnt how to spell. Or to put more simply, on their uh, best-known song that came later, libraries gave us power. And obviously because of the events that followed after the album's release, the Holy Bible these days is seen very much as Richie Edwards' worldview. But I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, Mr. James Jim Bradfield, and in doing so, to give you my uh, four reasons why uh, he is a legend. So, number one, James the singer. Now, some people don't really care for James Dean Bradfield's vocals. Um, my, uh, my beautiful wife, Mrs. Garbanzo, is one of those. Uh, often asking me, well, why does he have to shout all the time? Well, in, re- in response to that, well, number one, he doesn't shout all the time, uh, not every single song. Although, to be fair, he does shout very, very nearly all the time. Uh, but other vocalists who have a bit of an, you know, an acquired taste voice, a sort of love them or hate them type voice, um, or like Mark uh, Morrissey is an obvious one, uh, uh, Marky Smith, Lou Reed, Billy Bragg, people like that. But what sets James Dean Bradford apart from all of those is that even if you don't like his voice, even if you don't care for the sound of it, there's no way you can argue that he can't sing. There's no way you can argue that he doesn't sing with huge amounts of passion or that he doesn't sound like he really means it. Number two. James Dean Bradfield, the musical arranger. Uh, there, aren't, there aren't many bands I can think of that have such a clearly defined division of labour in their in their band. 
uh, where in, in the Manic Street Preachers, and certainly in the in this up to the Holy Bible, you had all the lyrics were written by uh, Richie and by Nicky, and all the music was written by James and Sean. You can just imagine from seeing these lyric sheets what a challenge it was for um, the music writing half of the band to come up with uh, things for these lyrics which have generally speaking no choruses they the meter and the rhythm of the words is all over the place they're much more like um, prose than poetry very little repetition and uh, James had to make them into something that not only that he could sing but in, but the, the fans and the crowds and the audience could sing back at him and he succeeded in that and there's the, also the whole sound of this album which is very different from the first two albums which sound far too much like sort of standard American rock. Rock. I'm spelling that R-A-W-K. Uh, in case you can't tell from my pronunciation, rock. Uh, and which brings me on to number three, James the Guitarist. Um, this album is a very British sound, a very late 70s post-punk sound. And usually uh, in... in uh, I, I listened recently to a Radio 4 thing... Uh, called Master Tapes with the band talking about it and they were mentioning stuff like Magazine and Susan the Banshees and Public Image Limited as being key influences on this album. Uh, no, they didn't mention Adam and the Ants, which I, I can hear in there as well, uh, with the drums on stuff like uh, If White America Told the Truth, stuff like that. But on James' guitaring, you know, if you're talking technical ability or musical chops, he's light years ahead of any of his contemporaries from the mid-90s. He can play all that twiddly-diddly, twiddly-diddly fast, you know, 20 notes a second shit. Um, but I don't particularly care for all that, all that stuff. Um, but he, he, he knows when to do that. He doesn't overindulge in that kind of thing. And he can also keep it simple and play his very simple Mick Jonesy two, three note solos, repetitive little riffs as well, as mentioned before, and, and faster. And then number four of reasons why James Dean Bradfield is uh, is uh, a legend is just James the man himself. Uh, I think he might well be number one on my list of musicians I'd like to go for a pint with. Uh, and the reason for that is because in every interview I've ever read or, or listened to with him, he comes just comes across as being modest um, and sincere, but not up his own ass. Um, it's very intelligent and very fun, very funny, humorous, and um, just seems like good company. So there you go. Uh, four reasons for James. And going back to the Holy Bible, though, I'm going to play a track from it, um, and then I'm going to go to go to the gig. So uh, we've already played the opening track um, of the album, yes, on a previous podcast. So I'm going to play instead um, Four Stone, Seven Pounds. Uh, this is the minimum weight, apparently, that an adult human body can continue to function at. And the song's written from the point of view of an anorexic girl, but obviously very much informed by Richie Edwards' own anorexia and his time spent in hospitals and addiction clinics and the like. Uh, there's not exactly a lot of songs, song lyrics, which deal with the subject of eating disorders. But it is a subject that I have um, some direct experience of myself. And this lyric just nails it, just describing how the person in the centre of it, they know very well that their thoughts and actions 
are illogical, they're, they're ridiculous and uh, ultimately self-defeating, but at the same time have this compulsion to act in these ways and indeed to treat each act uh, of self-harm as some kind of little moral victory against the world. And like many other songs on this album, it's kind of in two parts. And the lyrics in the second half are astonishing. Um, Kate and Kristen and Kit Kat, all things that I like looking at. Um, hunger soon passes and sickness soon tires. Um, legs bend, stockings, I am twiggy and I don't mind the horror that surrounds me. Self-worth scatters, self-esteem's a bore. I long since moved to a higher, higher plateau. This discipline's so rare, so please applaud. Just look at the fat scum who pamper me so. And after all that, after all that darkness and, and uh, obsession, he even has the nerve to finish the whole song off with a joke. Four Stone Seven, an epilogue of youth, such beautiful, in, such beautiful dignity and self-abuse. I've finally come to understand life through staring blankly at my navel. I eat too much to die. I'm not enough to stay alive. I'm sitting in the middle of
Hello again. Uh, it's Truso Garbanzo here for the Trust the Wizards podcast. Uh, reporting back after the gig at uh, the Albert Hall, Manic Street Preachers. And uh, yes, what a gig that was. I'm going to try and tell you as much as I can about it. Um, but I, well, I'll start off by talking about the venue itself. It's a new one on me, but what a lovely venue. Really nice, old-fashioned type place, a bit like an old ballroom. Uh, where usually the Manics play in at the Apollo um, in Manchester, and I think I've seen them play about five times there. Uh, and it's, it's, this was like a bit like the Apollo, but smaller and older and a bit grander. Um, and uh, yeah, really good. Uh, I like the smaller the venue, the better, obviously. Um, now, uh, one interesting thing about going to a gig on your own is that if, you, if you're there and you're just kind of standing away waiting, waiting for the band to come on, you've got no one to talk to. So all I had to do was to sort of look around and to look at the crowd. Uh, so I can tell you a few things I noticed about, about the crowd. Compared to the usual Manics crowd, I would say these guys were younger. Uh, and and I, oh, that's fantastic. I'm 44 years old. Um, in the summer of 94, when, when uh, Holy Bible originally came out, I was 23 years old. And uh, the vast majority of people there this evening were younger than me. Uh, and that was great to see. There were obviously people who, uh, you know, have, have um, heard about the Holy Bible after its kind of time. Uh, and that was good to see. There was also a larger proportion of females than most gigs that I go to. Um, there, there's a certain type of people that I notice at a lot of the gigs I go to. And that is sort of, sort of men in their 40s. Um, who are bald and that's not just because I very often go to gigs with the other two wizards who are both men in their 40s and who are both bald uh, but it's just the and it's also the other thing I notice a lot of gigs I go to these days especially like John Grant one we went to a couple of weeks ago the enormous number of beards every other person's got a beard uh, and not just your usual you know a normal beard but actually one of these great big full-on you know, I'm a backwoodsman in the, uh, you know, and about to capture some people, uh, some soldiers on a training exercise in the deep south, uh, in the Cajun lands. Uh, that kind of that kind of beard. Anyway, there wasn't many of them at tonight's gig. Uh, there wasn't wasn't many beards at all. Uh, there were a lot of homemade clothing, uh, which I'm all for. Uh, people who'd made their own manix styled uh, clothes. There were some sailor suits. I saw at least three girls and one bloke in a sailor suit. So uh, hats off to them. Uh, I saw um, quite a lot of, sort of face paint, the sort of grease paint or whatever it is that the soldiers wear that, that uh, Manics wore in, in this kind of period. Um, and I saw, probably my favourite was somebody who had a sort of uh, camouflage type jacket and written on the back in great big letters, clearly homemade. It's, it was a lyric from the song Faster. I am all the things you that you regret. Fantastic. Uh, wonderful stuff to see. Uh, before the band came on, there was no support band. Uh, there was a DJ, and he was playing lots and lots of stuff from the 80s. Um, you, you, Post-punk and, and a bit of new romantic stuff. It was great to hear uh, Echo the Bunny Man and uh, the Associates Party Fears 2. Um, and Killing Joke, Love Like Blood, those last two songs I haven't heard in donkey's years. Uh, and it was really good to hear them being played through a, a lovely loud PA. Mixed in with that was the occasional bit of something fairly modern, uh, and it was good to hear the aforementioned John Grant uh, being played, 
as well as uh, Sleaford Mods, tied up in knots and a bit off the, the new St. Vincent album. Now, just before the band came on, there was a little snippet, about 30 seconds, of uh, the Smiths. Stop me if you think that you've heard this one before. And, of course, we had all heard this one before because they came on and the first half of the gig was the Holy Bible in full, uh, played as a free piece. Uh, no extra guitarists or extra keyboard players on this. Now, I talked before a little bit about the four elements of James Dean Bradfield. Uh, and the one that was most definitely in the ascendancy tonight was James, the, James Dean Bradfield, the guitarist, the guitar hero, the guitar legend. Uh, the, the guitar playing tonight with these weird, abrasive, um, tinny-sounding guitars that are kind of offensive to your ears, you know, scratchy, scrapey, uh, nasty-sounding guitars. Um, and all the more for it. It sounded absolutely wonderful, just like just like the record. Better than the record, in fact. Um, I, I also noticed he, he plays a lot of bar chords, James. He plays a lot of amazing lead guitar. Very, very rarely plays what I would call a normal guitar chord. Um, I did at one point in the song She Is Suffering, I saw him play a G. And it was definitely a G, a normal shaped G. Uh, but it's, it's very rare that he does that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, um, I mean, the, the, the fast songs of the Holy Bible were absolutely amazing. I've heard a lot of these songs played live at other gigs that I've been to before by the Manics, but tonight was the best version of Faster that I have ever heard. It was the best version of PCP that I have ever heard, the best version of Revol I have ever heard. Uh, and uh, there were some other songs that I've never heard them play before, uh, and which obviously were the best versions and uh, stuff like A Walk in Abortion uh, amazing, amazing, amazing uh, Archives of Pain fantastic and that one seemed to go down particularly well with the crowd uh, and then uh, you know on the latter half of the album Die in the Summertime was just just brilliant, just absolutely brilliant uh, of course when you're playing as a free piece you need everybody in the band to be uh, doing their doing their thing and Sean Moore is an amazing drummer particularly on stuff like the intense humming of evil and indeed on if white America uh, amazing drumming on that uh, the intense humming of evil sounding tonight more than ever like the kind of the 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 the, uh, the weird twin of joy division's atrocity exhibition uh, and um, of course Nicky wire uh, the big tall guy on the right hand side uh, He's so solid, and I, I don't mean that as in, you know, to, to demean his, his playing abilities and saying, oh, he's just, he's, he's solid, he's, he's nothing special. I don't mean that. What I mean is, is that he is he is solid, he is rooted, and he he can play the more fancy stuff. But a lot of the time, he's keeping things simple, and he's keeping things rooted, and someone needs to do that because of uh, James and uh, Sean and their ex extravagances, uh, their wonderful extravagances. Um, so yeah, the 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 Holy Bible. Then they went off for ten minutes, but the Holy Bible part was breathtaking. And I think even if they just stopped there, that may well have been the greatest Mannix gigs gig I have ever seen in twenty years of watching the Mannix. But they didn't just stop there. They went off. They came back on again about ten minutes later, uh, with having had a costume change. Nicky Wire came back wearing a sort of um, a sort of ship's captain hat, a blazer. Uh, and a pair of, his, uh, sort of big sunglasses, and he looked a little bit like the late Colonel Gaddafi. 
uh, from a distance at least. But Colonel Gaddafi, if his um, his military jacket was uh, covered with um, uh, badges and lapels and uh, things saying uh, punk in great big letters and things like that, which is a look that Colonel Gaddafi could have maybe done with to soften himself up a bit, maybe. Uh, anyway, uh, in that second half, there was a, uh, a selection of, of, of the biggest hits. Um, they opened it with Motorcycle Emptiness, which was just fucking brilliant. Uh, and more guitar heroics from James there. Uh, and, and everybody in the crowd just loving it. Uh, you Souls the Sun for My Heart, a big, another big sing-along. Um, if you tolerate this, then your children will be next. Yeah, well, you know, not my favourite song. Or, or it's, I, I love the album it's from, but not not my favourite uh, Manic song, and one that they seem to play every single gig I've seen them at, and uh, it, since that came out, and I, you know, I maybe told to put that one on the back burner. But yeah, having said that, a lot of other people liked it, so what do I know? Uh, and um, you love us very near the end, which was sensational, uh, and of course the, cl- the, cl- the usual closer, Design for Life, again breathtakingly good but in amongst all those uh, the well-known hits were uh, some of the new ones which were great uh, it's great to hear uh, the instrumental tune of the last album uh, there's two instrumental tunes of the last album one of them's called dreaming a city uh, and they played that and that was brilliant they, they dedicated that to um, other bands from manchester and in particular magazine and you could kind of hear what, what, what why they said that uh, the bass line was you know quite a sort of not your standard uh, punk uh, guitar bass line, had a bit of a groove to it, and, uh, you know, a bit Barry Adamson, and the guitar, again, was fantastic on that. Uh, they also played um, Walk Me to the Bridge, which is uh, a, a great song, and, uh, you know, it belongs up there with all those those uh, anthems that they've written over the years. Uh, some other songs I didn't expect them to play was the opening song off um, the Lifeblood album, which is an album that, doesn't get a lot of love. Uh, I personally think it's really great. But uh, 1985, uh, song that mentions Morrissey and Ma in the lyrics, um, they played that. And they also played Donkeys, which is the B-side of one of the singles from uh, the, uh, I think it's Roses in the Hospital. It's the B-side of that. And uh, they said that uh, when they introduced it, that this was one of the songs that kind of showed them the way to... Um, the way towards the Holy Bible. And if you listen to the last 30, 40 seconds of that song uh, and the sort of discordant chromatic guitar riff, you'll see what they mean about it being uh, leading into the Holy Bible. Uh, so at the end of the gig, they were saying about how they're playing, playing tomorrow night. <coughs> I've got a prior arrangement for tomorrow night, which I can't get out of. But otherwise, I'd be given serious, serious consideration to going back and watching the whole damn thing again. Uh, I don't really like outdoor gigs, but I'm thinking about maybe going to watch them play the Holy Bible again at uh, Cardiff Castle next summer. But I'm na- I can now, I'm pleased to say, I can now tick off the Holy Bible from my list of uh, some of my very favourite albums that I've seen being played in full. I saw Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band play Born to Run in full at Coventry uh, a couple of years ago. I've seen The Wedding Present play uh, Sea Monsters in full. Uh, I've also seen, which is my favourite album by them. I've also seen them play Hit Parade and Bizarro in full. I've seen Dexys play One Day I'm Gonna Saw in full, uh, which I think is probably my favourite album of the last five or six years. 
I haven't seen The Clash play London Calling, which is definitely my favourite album, but I did see Chuck Prophet and The Spanish Bombs play the whole of London Calling. So now that really just leaves it open to Joni Mitchell. If you're listening, Joni, and I know you are a big fan of the Trust the Wizards podcast, then uh, come on, pull your finger out, love. Uh, get a gig booked um, to play Blue, all of Blue, in order, and uh, get it sorted out. Um, Liverpool will be nice. Manchester's fine. Uh, but, you know, what? You, you book it. I'll come to you, and I'll see you down the front. In the meantime, this has been a Trust the Wizards podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Tune back in to us again uh, very soon. We'll have our best of 2014 podcasts going live over the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much for listening. This is the Manic Street Preachers with Donkeys. Yeah.